career. And I want you, I wondered if this morning you'd talk a little bit about what it was like at the start of your journey uh, and thinking about faith and work as you started out on your job journey. And then also kind of where you are now, which is a very different place than where you started out and how God has been involved in that. So thanks for being here, Cassie. And we're uh, looking forward to what you have to share with us. Thank you, Pastor Rick. I'm happy to be here. Uh, to answer that question, I, I think I'm going to very briefly back up to right after college when I was looking for a career. Right, A lot of us look for a career. And I, I sat down, I prayed, and I prayed for months before I landed a job in publishing in one of the most liberal publishing companies in the world. I, God made it very clear that I was to be in this publishing company to, to get my first job there. And as a 22-year-old, I didn't know what that meant. All I knew was that my biggest fear was that I was not fulfilling the will of God, that I wasn't walking in God's path. So every step along the way, I prayed before that God's will would be done and that I would be doing whatever work he had put in front of me to do. You were in that sector for a while, and then God kind of moved you to a, a different sector entirely for that. And yeah. how, did you, how did you know that that was a time to make that transition on your journey? Yeah. And how did, where, where was God in that, in that decision? Oh, what a great question. Um, I get antsy. I like change. Um, not many people like change, as far as I know. Uh, so I was praying really hard for God to make something happen. And he, he sent me a recruiter. He sent me one of the best bosses I've ever had mm. in the world. And I ended up in the technology sector as a product manager. So I ended up working again for a very large, extremely liberal company. So God sent me there. I'm, it, it was confirmed uh, through dreams, actually. God sent me there. I was listening to his voice. He confirmed it multiple times while I was there. And that was harder. That was a lot huh. harder. What in what I, way? What was what was the hard? What oh, was harder about that place? I would say in that place, I had a lot more responsibility, a lot more visibility. Everything that everything that I said, every uh, decision that I made was scrutinized, wow. and I was seeking God's voice in every decision, and people knew it. Hmm. So I had an office for the first time, not a cubicle, but an office. Right? I put Bible verses on it. Uh, so that I could see them, and people couldn't see them if they walked in. It was really mostly for me. Uh, one was, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and then uh, everything I do, I do it for the glory of God. While I was working in every single one of these companies, I became known as somebody who really cared. And I think that's because every day I would pray at my desk, every single day before I started the day, and if anybody had an issue or a problem, they knew they could come to me and I'd really care about them and help them, regardless of what they ever did for me. Uh, they knew me as a Christian eventually, and usually pretty quickly, but uh, I got a lot of comments about, you're, you're unlike what I thought Christians would be like. Some of them had never met a Christian in their life at all. Wow. And the, all they knew was what they saw on TV. And so I got a lot of those comments. I got a lot of people, or a few people at least, coming up to me and saying, you're the only Christian I know. I'm, I'm dealing with this issue, 
it personal or at work. Can you help me? And I'd ask, can I pray for you? And they would say, yes, yes, please. You're the only one I know. Please, can you pray for me? Wow. And they'd follow up later. Hey, I tried everything. I tried, I, I tried burning incense. Mm -hmm. I tried all of these things and nothing worked. And then you prayed and I felt something changed and then it did change. Wow, that's and amazing. So, yeah, so I yeah. knew that God was using me in that workplace. Yeah. That's great. But that wasn't your last that, transition. That, that wasn't. You, you, so you transitioned <laughs> you know, from, from publishing, technology, and then God led yeah. you to a very different path. Uh, talk about that a little bit. How did you make that decision and what was it? Yeah, so throughout all this, I don't, I don't want to say that it was, uh, it was a, a walk in the park. It wasn't. It was, it was difficult. Through that, I felt very strongly that God was going to call me to entrepreneurship, to build something that was just for God. And I thought if it saves, if, if listening to God saves one soul, it'll all be worth it. So. And what's that been like? You stepped out. Uh, you stepped away from the so paycheck every month, the Garrett, right? You stepped away from that into <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of trusting in God and in what he's put in you and his word. And that, that's a step of faith. Oh, that was so hard. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I, I like to think that not following God is harder than following him. Um, every, almost every life choice is going to be difficult. But if you have the faith to rely on as the cornerstone of your life, it does not matter what kind of difficulties come your way. And I'll, I'll tell you, starting a business and entrepreneurship was harder than becoming a parent. It was harder than, than being married. It's, it was harder than anything else that I've done in my life. Well, one yeah. of the things I've heard you say, Cassie, in thinking about this is you are more afraid of not doing the will of God than you are of stepping out into something like this that scares you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an excellent way to put it. And I hope that all of us, as we think about our work, would, would proceed in that way. Can I, can I follow yeah, that up with please. one other thing, yeah. though? It's not just about the fear propelling me from behind because yeah, okay, I'm afraid of not doing God's will. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, right? It's not just about that. It's about when we follow God's will for our lives, God gives us rest. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us strength. And the more we rely on God in every aspect, at least this is what I found, in every aspect of our lives, the more whole I have felt, the, the, the closer I felt to God, and the, and the more love I felt in my life. I cannot even tell you the joy that just fills me every time I'm sitting down with a client of mine and they tell me, hey, I, I just went to church for the first time in years because you told me it would be good for me. I started praying again for years I, I think I just met Jesus. I think God's talking to me now. And I'm talking to them about their finances. So the joy that fills me knowing that God is using me is greater than the fear that got me there in, in the first place. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you, Cassie. Thanks for letting us have a little peek into the journey that God has been taking you on and sharing about how faith has intersected with your work in the workplace. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, too.
Thank you, Cassie, for that awesome bit. Where is she? Is she back there? So she's sick, unfortunate. Well, th thank you for, for that video. Um, yeah, we, we will. We can pray for her. Um, Nanan is here. She made it. Um, so I'm going to invite her up. Nanan is a global outreach partner of ours who works with uh, the Coast Guard and with international students. Come on, come on up, come on up. And um, on college campuses. And so she has a little bit uh, to share with us today. Okay, I'm not going to talk about the slide. I'm just going to talk about the spiritual matter about that. My journey with the Lord. First of all, I knew this church 32, 33 years ago. John Prado was the pastor back then. He was my supervisor at Chi Alpha Campus Ministry. So anyway, um, I'm back again here. Um, I want to share with you uh, what the Lord has done through my ministry and in my ministry in my life, too. So the past 31 years in the ministry, I see the similarity between the Israel journey in Egypt, out of Egypt, when, they, when the Lord called, when the Lord brought the children, children of Israel. I'm from Indonesia, so my English is not good. So um, when the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt um, for deliverance, he told them, he said, that I bore you on eagle's wing and brought you to myself. Then he led them to where? Desert. So looking back at my experience, I see similarity between the, this journey of the children of Israel in my life as well. Uh, four lessons I learned from this um, journey of the Egyptian, I mean, uh, the, um, the desert experience. One is that he humbled you. When I first come to the uh, ministry, I was pretty prideful because I was the first woman in my generation in my family that go to college and the first one to go overseas and study engineering. And I got my master's degree in engineering. So I was very prideful, um, but God stripped me off. So just like little eagle, uh, when the eaglet was born, there is nothing, no feather, no wing, or a little wing, but no powerful wing. So w the Lord humbled us. He stripped us from all our prideful, worldly pride. And then the, sec um, the second lesson that I learned um, that, back to the first lesson, um, with the pridefulness that I have, God have to strip me off, and I have to work cleaning up houses, cleaning up toilets during my seminary years. That's really humbling experience. But through it all, I pay all my tuitions for, um, um, in my seminary year. Second lesson I learned that I have to go through the school of faith. By that, what I mean is that um, just like the little baby eaglet have no place to go and have to be fed by their parents. Um, the eagle have to be fed every day, um, not knowing where the food come from, but the mother, mother will feed them. So was I. I have no friend, I have no family, I have no relative in America, just a single woman. And, and it was pretty scary experience coming to the ministry um, as a single woman. And God, the only thing I know is the Lord and his promise. 
that he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. I do not know how, but he is faithful. The third experience that I learned that he trains you. When he called, he trained. Trained for what? For battle ahead. He bring persecution, he bring hardship, he bring trial, rejection, abandonment, all kind of trial. For what? To strengthen my wing so I can fly. To strengthen my faith so I can be more like him. He, he transformed my life inside and out so that I can be more like him. That I can serve him fully. And like the little eagle, um, you know how the mother eagle trained the, the eaglet? Kicks them out of their comfort zone. So is us. So when God tells us to do something and we don't like it, he, he tries to push you. And you fall. You fall down. The little eagle fall, eaglet fall. And right before he crashed, the mother eagle grabbed them, not by weak, but by his wing. He spread them and fall on his wing. So the Lord will not let you crash down. He will pick you up and bring you to the safe place over and over again. This is the training until we we'll learn to fly. Um, it will be repeated over and over again. And the fourth lesson I learned is that once we surrender to him, like he say, he brought you to himself. He brought you to myself, the Lord say. So we need to completely surrender before he can use us and we can fully, fully worship him in truth and in spirit because we need to do that um, in life. The, the, the training will be repeated over and over again, but the, the, the main purpose is for us to completely surrender and to be able to fly with him. We'll never know well, where we will land it. I was in a ministry, I was an engineer, and then ending up in a ministry with international students, and now he landed in it with the Coast Guard. So it, the journey is fun. It's, it's very exciting, it's fun, but it's rewarding too. Thank you. Yeah. Don't go too far. Nana. And Chris is here too. Can, can you guys come up? Can I, can I pray for you guys? Just the ministry that, that God is doing through you? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Chris and for Nanan, for the ministry that you have called them to in working with the Coast Guard and working with international students at the college campuses here. Father, I pray that you will continue to teach them these lessons. Time after time, would you continue to train them up for the things that you have ahead of them? And Lord, would you continue to work through them to bring many around them to a knowledge of you and a saving relationship with you? Lord, I pray that you would bless them in the weeks and months ahead. And uh, we, we, we are thankful for being able to hear from them this morning. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us today. Thank you. Can we give them one more round of applause? They have to go right back to Burlington for service number two. Thank you guys for being with us. Uh, so if we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Andrew, and I get to lead this church location here. Uh, before we start, I just want to throw up a quick little slide with a QR code 
or no QR code, I'm sorry, a text line. Hearing Cassie's video and just some of the things that we've been thinking through with this series about work, one of the ideas that we had was to have a space, a Zoom call, where people in the same field of work, in the same sort of line of work, could get together and just talk about what does it look like to be a Christian in that space. And so we're trying to set that up, and one of the ways that we would like to do that is to hear from you about what line of work you are in so that we can start to set those rooms up. So I'm going to leave this slide up here for just a couple of minutes so you can get that phone number down. Please just text that line with whatever line of work you're in so that we can start to put those Zoom rooms together. I hope you will, I don't know if I sound a little funny this morning. Do I sound a little funny? Okay, people, people, all right. I'm feeling a little, I've been feeling sick. I feel a lot better than I sound, but I hope you can bear with me. Uh, Me and Cassie, we're we're, we're powering through. Uh, We're going to be continuing our series on work today. And I just, as we start, I just want to know by a show of hands, who here has ever thought about quitting their job before? Come on, don't be shy. It's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I think all of us have probably been there before, and I have been there before as well. When I was in college, I worked as a server in a Mexican restaurant that had two stories and no elevator or any sort of lift or anything. And we were understaffed, so I would have a big table section, and sometimes those tables were upstairs. And so this was a job that would tax me mentally as I'm taking orders of groups, parties of eight, and putting them into the system and making sure, you know, the allergies and everything is all right. And it would test me physically when I would have to, I've had this glove that I would pile, goes all the way up to my shoulder, and I would do dishes all the way up and carry these things up the stairs to, to give to these customers that were up there. And I'll tell you, there were some wonderful days. It was really fun, and people were grateful, and it was, it was a joy to be there, and there were some awful days, tripping up the stairs and dropping plates and plates worth of food and, and getting yelled at by customers and, and you know, getting totally stiffed and walking away, just asking myself, what am I doing? Why am I putting myself through all of this stress? Why am I putting myself through all of this uh, just pressure and frustration? And I imagine, by the show of fans, that you have asked yourself something uh, along those same lines with your work. I heard a a term recently called the Sunday scaries. And maybe you're feeling the Sunday scaries, that that pit in your stomach that you know that tomorrow you're going to have to go back to work. And so as the day goes on, you just start to feel a little bit more and more like dread that Monday is coming. And so this is a really important series for us to talk about. And if you do the math, on average, all of us will spend between 80 and 100,000 hours of our lives at work. That is a huge portion of our lives. And we need to be able to have a functional theology of work if we're going to be able to make sense of that in all of the different contexts, when we feel frustrated and overwhelmed, even when we feel great at work. And that's a target that we're shooting at with this sermon series, to create a functional theology of work so that all of us can understand how our faith interacts with our work, that it's not just something we 
engage with on Sundays. It's not just something we engage with when we read our Bibles or set aside time to pray, but it's something that encompasses our whole life. And so if we're going to create a holistic theology, I think we should start from the beginning and then work our way to the end and then figure out what that means for us. So that's what I'm going to try and do. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up to the book of Genesis. We're going to start in the first chapter of the Bible, and then we're going to end in the last chapter of the Bible today. And I'm going to do it all in 20 minutes. Just wait. (laughs) So, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, you, if you've read your Bible, you're probably familiar with what comes next. It's a, 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 a week where God speaks things into existence, and the world goes from being empty and formless to being full and beautiful and vibrant. But there's another account of creation that I want to read instead of that. And that's at the end of the book of Job. If you want to turn there quick, you can. The verses are also on the screen. For context, Job is described as one of the most righteous men that ever lived. And God takes everything, or he allows Satan to take everything away from him. And Job's life is just in shambles. And he, sort of in a moment of of frustration and desperation, cries out to God. He sort of uses legal language. He's like, you got to explain yourself. He sort of puts God on the stand. He says, you need to explain why all of this is going on because I don't deserve it. And God speaks to him out of that. And spoiler alert, God, God gives him this explanation. And Job is sort of like, I didn't realize who I was dealing with. And Job repents of sort of using that kind of language with God. But this is what, this is how God sort of answers Job in that place. This is Job 38, starting in verse 4. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning star sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I set limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? So here we have a very different description. God doesn't just say, let there be light. God says, this is where the foundations are going to go. And he starts to dig and he starts to lay the foundations and puts the cornerstone in place and, and, and tells the waves, hey, this is the boundary line. This is where you're going to come to and that's it. God, we see in creation, works. The first thing that we need to understand in creating a a theology of work is that God works. And if you joined us over the last several weeks on Wednesdays for the casket class, 
one of the things that we learned was that over and over throughout the Old Testament, God is at work, and he is, one of the things he is doing is differentiating himself from all of the gods of the nations. In Psalm 115, the, the, the psalmist writes about all of these, the, the gods of the nations, Dagon and, and Baal and Molech and Asherah, they, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't feel anything. And they have feet, but they can't walk. The gods of the nations don't work. The idols are idle. It's a little play on words. But God, over and over again, proves himself to be the God who works. He works in creation, and he works throughout history. In John chapter 5, Jesus says that God, even to this day continues to work. So we have a God who works. Second thing we need to understand comes to us as a part of that creation story back in Genesis chapter, well, we're, we're now in chapter 2. Well, chapter 1 and then chapter 2. This is chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And if you jump to chapter 2, verses 15 and we'll jump down to 18, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll do 15. We'll just jump down to 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the second thing we see is that God created man and woman, humankind, in his image, in the image of the God who works. So work has always been a part of our design. Even in the Garden of Eden, work was part of our design. God says in the same breath, he, in, in chapter 1, it says he blessed them, and in the same breath, he gave them work to do. He told them to fill the earth. He told them to subdue it. He told them to rule over the garden. And in chapter 2, it says that he, he was commanded to care for the garden, and he had a helper suitable for him to do that work. All of us were created with the work in mind, and and God gave it to us as a blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times where work does not feel like a blessing, right? There are times where work feels more like a curse. Does anybody, somebody can say amen to that. Does work feel like a curse? Amen. That's because work did get cursed. So the first thing that we see is that God works. The second thing that we see is that work was part of our design. Work was in the garden at the beginning, 
And we're going to see in a second that work is going to be at the end. But right here in the middle, work gets twisted up. Work goes bad. Work gets cursed. In Genesis chapter 3, we hear from God what the curse of work is. This is starting in verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. In the garden, it was a simple thing for Adam and Eve to provide for themselves. If they were hungry, food was there. If they were thirsty, clean water was there. But now that work has been cursed because of sin, it is no longer a simple thing for mankind to provide food for themselves. It is through toilsome labor. It is through the sweat of your brow that you will be able to eat, God says. And he also says that whatever it is you try and grow, there are going to be thorns and thistles. Whatever it is that we do for work, God says there are always going to be weeds to pull. What are the weeds in your work? What is the toilsome labor in your work? The weeds that you constantly have to pull, they never end. To me, that's my email inbox. It's just like pulling weeds. I'm like, oh man, when would this stop? Work is cursed. And it's not just cursed for Adam and Eve. We see throughout scripture from, from, this, from this chapter to the, towards the end, work is cursed for all mankind. So the first thing that we see is that God works. The second thing we see is that work is a part of our design as people. It was made as a blessing, but it turned into a curse because of sin. Now, let's see what's going to happen to work. So we start, I said we start in the first chapter. Now we're going to the last chapter. The end of the Bible. Revelation 22. Starting in verse 1. I'll give, you, I'll give you a second to turn there. I need to drink some water. In the book of Revelation, God, uh, the apostle John is given a vision of what is going to happen at the end of time about what is going to happen when Jesus returns and all things are put right. And this is what he sees. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. See, in America, we have one way that we try and deal with the curse of work. And it kind of goes something like this. We tell our children to work hard in school, to study, study well and get good grades so that you can get into a good college. And they get into a good college and we say, keep working hard and pick a good major and study hard, even harder than before, so that you can get a degree. And, and they get the degree and we say, keep working and, and use that degree to find a good job. And work hard at that job so you can get promoted and, and, and earn more money so you can buy a house and put away for retirement. And if you keep working hard enough and long enough, after 40 years, maybe you'll have enough to retire and enjoy the last 15, 20, 30 years of your life and not work. The way that we try and fix the problem of work is by removing it. Working hard enough and hard enough so that we can finally be free from it and just enjoy life. There's a problem with that because with this theology of work, work is at the beginning and work is at the end. So we're not created as people to be free from work. And what we see in the chapter here that we just read in Revelation 22 is that God is not removing work from us. He is redeeming work. When he comes back and Jesus puts all things right, he redeems work. He takes work that started out as a blessing, became a curse. He makes it a blessing again. Look at the text. He says that there is a river of water of life, clear as crystal, flowing through the street of the city. We have plentiful water now. And there is a tree of life on both sides of the river that produces 12 crops of fruit every month. We have plentiful food. So God's, God has created this, this new creation. He's recreating the world, recreating work, so that it doesn't have to be toilsome anymore. We can provide for ourselves easily in this, this, new, in this new city, which starts in a garden and ends in a city. And it says, there will no longer be any curse, but then it says, the servants of God will serve him. That we get to, we get our work back and our work now becomes a blessing. The curse is lifted and sustenance becomes plentiful, but there is still work. Those of us who get to see God face to face, and if you're here and you have not submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus, you can do that today. Jesus has his arms open to all of us and says that if you would surrender to him and put your faith in him, he will, he will forgive you from your sins and, and, and create a, put his spirit in you and have a relationship with you. And then at the end of time, we get to see God face to face and we get the blessing of serving him. 
That's like 30,000 feet of what the Bible teaches us about work. That work is created to be a blessing. It's messed up now, but it's going to be fixed. And, there, and, the, and the question now that we need to ask, and especially if you were in my session of Casket Empty here in Belmont, one of the things we talked about over and over again was, was what's in the Bible and what do I do with it? So now that we know what the Bible says about work, what are we supposed to do with it? How does that impact me tomorrow? How does that impact me Monday through Friday in, in doing my work? How does that impact me as a stay-at-home parent or, or a retired person? I want to go, as we close, to a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter. This is the last passage of Scripture. I know it's been a lot of, a lot of Bible today. And I can, I'll invite up the worship team to come. First uh, Peter is a letter that is sort of written with the end of all things in mind. It's written to Christians to say this is how we ought to live in light of knowing what's coming. And he talks a little bit about a little bit about our work. So in First Peter four. It's starting in verse 7. This is what he says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What Peter says in those verses, to you and to me, is that we need to get our minds straight. Clear your mind and be self-controlled. And he says we need to be prayerful. We need to be full of love for one another. We need to be hospitable. And we need to work hard at the work that we do. He splits work into two sort of main types. And maybe you can find your work in either, he says, if you're anyone speaking, they should do it as one speaking the words of God. If anyone's serving, should do it with the strength God provides. The first job that I had when I moved to Boston was at a tech startup downtown. And they had software designers, or software engineers and designers, and they had the sales team. And the office was one floor, and it was split in half. And they called, it, they called this side the typers, And they call this side the talkers. And so maybe you find yourself as a talker. Your job maybe is is more interacting with people and relational. And maybe on on the other side, maybe your job is more like, maybe it's typing, but maybe it's, it's something else. It's serving. Peter says, whichever work you do, what you're doing is faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. The work that you do faithfully administers God's grace. That means there's no divide between sacred work and secular work. 
A lot of times we look at what Jesus did in his ministry and we say, well, Jesus was a, like a, he was a shepherd, he was a pastor, you know, he was a prophet, he had sacred work. My job is, is different. My job is just secular, it's just normal. And we forget that for years, Jesus was a carpenter. And in that passage in John chapter 5, Jesus says that he did whatever the Father told him to do. He did whatever the Father was doing, whatever the Father was saying to him. And so there were a a decade plus of his life where God was, Jesus was administering God's grace by framing houses, by building tables, by correcting all of the shoddy work that his brothers were doing. And for those of us who just work sort of a normal job, you are faithfully administering God's grace when you put together that spreadsheet. When you, when you manage your team meetings well, you're administering God's grace as a caretaker, as a, as a stay-at-home mom. Stop waiting for God to work things out for you. A lot of times we sit there and we pray, say, God, just, can you just help me find a better job? Can you just help me fix this? Can, can, can you make work not feel so bad all the time? And we just sort of wait. Stop waiting and start allowing to God work things out through you. In that passage in Peter, he says, if you're speaking... Do it as one speaking the words of God. Let go of control and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Not just when you pray, but when you lead your staff meetings, when you're participating, when you're working with your clients. Speak the words of God there. And when you're serving and you're tired and you're run down, do it with the strength that God provides. Work becomes a blessing. This is what I want you all to take away. Work becomes a blessing when the reason behind all of it is God's glory. You're going to text in your your fields of work and your lines of work, and there are going to be lots of different answers. But the truth is, all of us have the same job. We have nurses and educators and scientists. We have military workers and personal trainers and stay-at-home moms and retirees. But all of us have the same job. To bring God as much glory as we can through the work that he has given us to do. And so as you go into work tomorrow or whenever you go back to whatever it is that you consider work, ask yourself, what is it that I can do to bring God glory here. And I want to say one, I want to read one quote uh, because I don't want to leave out the retirees. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who was a 19th century preacher. And he says this to, to those of us who may be retired. The 
Preparation for death does not mean going alone into the chamber and retiring from the world, but it means active service, doing the duty of the day in the day. The best preparation for sleep is hard work. And one of the best things to prepare us for sleeping in Jesus is to live in him an active life of going about and doing good. If you're retired, you have the opportunity to, to surrender now to only one boss. All of us answer to at least one boss and God. But if you're retired, you have the opportunity to answer to one and to go about living a life of doing good, doing the duty of the day and in the day. Let's pray, and then we'll close in worship. Dear Lord, I thank you for the gift of work, for the blessing that you created it to be. Lord, we are living in a time where work does not always feel that way. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, work can feel like a curse. God, help us to see that you are not active in our lives and active in the world to get rid of work, but you are active in redeeming it, in bringing it back to the place of blessing that it was meant to be in our lives. And God, I pray that you would instill in us this understanding that we can receive it as a blessing even now. Lord, you say in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God is within us. That this, this place where we get to see you face to face, where worship, where work can be worship and work can be a blessing, we can live in that space now. And Lord, that the way that we do that is by, by turning whatever it is that we do and making it as, as, as something that can bring you glory. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us tomorrow and through this week and through the rest of our lives. Help us to see places where we can bring you glory in our work, not just by praying for coworkers and not just by sharing the gospel with them, but in the work that we do, that you've put your spirit in us to help us administer your grace in all of its varied forms. Thank you for the opportunity to partner with you in this work of redeeming work. And Lord, may you be glorified by the work that we do. We love you so much. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.